Well, we are in the post-Easter season, after Easter season. In fact, how many of you are still finding lost Easter eggs in your yard? And I'm sure you're like me. Aren't you glad that the resurrection is not a one-day experience? He's alive. He's risen, as we have sung this morning. We're going to turn to John's Gospel, chapter 20, if you've brought your Bibles today. And we're going to read about some post-resurrection events that took place, because I think there's something significant for us to see here in the Word of the Lord. And we're going to read John chapter 20. And uh, I, I know Pastor Josh last week encouraged you to uh, bring your Bibles to church, and I, I do the same. Um, he likes the real Bible. Mine's electronic. I got kind of convicted about that last week when he told me that. I have both, uh, lots of both. So whatever your version is, I hope that you have it with you. And I, sometimes I wonder if we have made it too easy for people to put their Bibles aside because we put the, the uh, Scripture on the screen. Just let's, ha- let's have it all. But, but we encourage you to bring your Bible with you to church. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Father, I just thank you for the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you that we have a great God who deserves great praise. I thank you that you are so interested in every minute detail of our lives and that you you died to redeem us and to save us and, and to keep us. And so I just pray for the Holy Spirit to do your work today, Lord. From my mouth to the ears of the people, do that incredible thing that you do. Speak to our hearts today through your holy word. For I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said... John chapter 20, and I'm going to read all of this, and I want you, don't just tune out with me, but I want you to allow it to serve as a backdrop for what I sense the Lord is saying to us today. But we need these events in place. We need to have this, all this stuff in place to to get it today. So John 20, starting with verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Peter, Simon Peter, who is going to be our character of focus today, Simon Peter. She, went, uh, she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. Isn't it interesting that John never refers to himself by name anywhere in the entire uh, gospel, even though he wrote it? The one whom Jesus loved, he said. And she said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb, and they were both running But the other disciple outran Peter, he made a note of that, and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Now, you can form your own opinion about why that's significant and, and, and why the Bible makes note of that. You know, and there have been lots of theories about the, uh, the linens, the, the grave clothes that Jesus was wrapped in. I just simply choose to think it's as simple as Jesus just conquering death without a dramatic ripping off of the grave clothes. Life came, his life came, and just very calmly slipped out of the grave, grave clothes, folded them neatly and said, done that. I have conquered death. Now let's get on. Hallelujah. You can think whatever you wish. Verse 8. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first, made a note of it again, also went in and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept she, she 
stooped and looked in, and she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't, she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who, who are you looking for? And she thought it was the gardener. Sir, she said, if, if you have taken him away, please tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, oh, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them that I'm ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I've seen the Lord. And then she gave them his message. And that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting at 6 o'clock for prayer service in the youth hall. <laughs> Is it worded different in your Bible a little bit? That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And then suddenly, locked doors, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I hope you're tracking all of these things. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the, one of the disciples, Thomas, named the twin, or many versions refer to him as Didymus, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it until I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. He said, isn't that really great? You can shut the doors, but you cannot shut Jesus out. He can reach every mountaintop, search every valley low. There's no place he cannot go. Try to shut him out, and he will find a way to get in. How many are glad about it today? Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. Oh, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. But blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Lord, I ask you to add your blessing to the reading of your word today. So this 20th chapter of John's gospel is a wonderful picture of and listing of the events that took place right after the resurrection of Jesus. And I really want us to allow it to serve as a backdrop to see uh, the scene of what's really taking place here because it's the backdrop for what's about to happen in the next chapter, chapter 21, which is the last chapter of John's gospel. 
Now, for those of you who are students of the Word, I'm fully aware that many Bible scholars have questions about the 21st chapter of John, which is the last chapter uh, in his gospel. Some question if it was, if it was even written by John, and they, they state their reasons. They talk about the linguistics and the, the, kinds of, the kind of verbiage that was used as opposed to the rest of the gospel, and that possibly it's different. And some question it because it appears to be an addendum when you consider the sense of finality that comes at the end of chapter 20, the one we just read. It looks like that comes to completion or, or closure, and so they think that maybe this chapter 21 that we're going to look at just a small piece of is an addendum to the rest of the book. And certainly, many scholars believe that it was written at a different time than the other chapters of the book because it does appear to make some corrections or clear up some possible miscommunications that could have been construed from the earlier part of the book. All that to say, the 21st chapter, the last chapter of John's gospel, has some unique qualities to it, and I encourage you to spend some time reading it this afternoon. But there is an intense to me, an intense point of interest going into this 21st chapter that we've not gotten to yet that I don't think we can ignore. I think we have to look at it. And I wonder what the Lord may be saying to us this morning about it. Peter, our main character of focus, has a response to all of this that we've just read. Everything that we've read in chapter 20, he has a response that I find most peculiar. Now, we've just read all of chapter 20, and we, we see these things. Let me just rehearse it quickly in case you weren't paying attention when I was reading it. They've gone to the tomb and found the stone rolled away, and the tomb is empty. They found the grave clothes all nicely folded up. Mary sees two angels, and then she sees the resurrected Jesus. Christ suddenly shows up in a locked room where the disciples were meeting, and he walked through walls, appear, apparently, not once but twice. He has commissioned them and said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Jesus breathes on, on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, which is a subsequent work of grace in their life. Doubting Thomas has to have it proven to him that Jesus is truly the one that was crucified, and then he believes. And chapter 20 concludes by telling us that the disciples see Jesus do many other miraculous signs. I don't know about you, but if I see all of that, I think that's a pretty great week. What do you think? Has to be the greatest week of all time. Christ is risen. He has conquered death. We will be celebrating it for, for eons to come. And Peter sees all of this. And the beginning of the next chapter, and not the version I'm using today, most versions use these three words. After these things. After all of this stuff in our backdrop today. All of these things that have happened post-resurrection I want you to look at verse 3 of chapter 21. After all of these things, John 21, 3 says that Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. What? I'm going fishing. And it says, and we'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. Think about it, Bethesda. What a weird reaction to all of that that he has seen. I'm going fishing. I, I would have thought that after these things which Peter observed, we would be reading a verse after that that says something like this, and Peter got bold, or Peter worshipped. Peter started preaching, or at least Peter went to church. 
Peter started writing songs about the resurrection. Anything. But somehow it just doesn't work in my mind after reading all of John 20 that we've just read and seeing all of these incredible things take place. I just don't, the first thing that does not come to my mind is go get my tackle box and let's go fishing. But that's exactly what the Bible tells us happened. Something has happened to him where he's no longer thinking of being a fisher of men. But he is going back to his old life of being a fisher of fish. Now there's plenty of speculation as to why this would be his most peculiar reaction. But clearly something is happening or not happening that I think is important for us to address here. If you will give me your attention before the picnic. He has been told by Christ that he will be a fisher of men. But something has taken place where he has abandoned what God has called him to do. After all he'd seen, after all he had experienced, after all he was present firsthand, up close and personal, to see. And somehow nothing is enough to keep him from going back to his old lifestyle, his old ways, his old occupation. Why not? Go fishing. And you got to remember that Peter was recommissioned in the chapter that we did read, chapter 20, to be sent out. But instead of doing that, he goes back to a fishing moment. Listen to me closely, church. There's a couple things I really want you to hear. This is one of them. I think there is a big difference between an event and an encounter. Amen, Dan. Amen. That's really good preaching. There is a big difference between an event and encounter. I think there is a huge difference between attending church services and meeting Jesus. Far too many people today confuse meeting Jesus with coming to church services. Because let me tell you something. You can come in here, but this building is not a magical building. Trust me. After last night's storms, there's buckets all over the place. Finding the leaks that were here. I don't know if I've told this service. Is Des here today? Oh, goodness. Des, I apologize in advance for telling this story, okay? I ask for your forgiveness in advance for telling this story. But it's not going to stop me from telling it. In the late 70s, early 80s, I first came. Becky and I first came. This building, we had this room and a little part of that wing and part of that wing. It was not, um, it was not a healthy building, meaning there were problems, construction problems. I mean, there were shortcuts that were made and all kinds. We had nothing but problem after problem after problem. And it, I remember watching, it just wore on Des so much that, I mean, they would, every week there would be a new issue. Now we have an air conditioner. Now we have a leak. Now we got water here. Now we, it was just always something bad about this building. And that was not easy. It was, and last night's storm reminded me of the time that we had a tornado coming from the west. That's the west. Through this area. It wasn't the big one that destroyed downtown Fort Worth, but another one. Coming from the west. And, and Des took all the staff, both of us, out to... <laughs> we were going to go watch this storm come in from the west. And this is right at the time the problems with the church had just... I mean, with the building of the church had just about taken us under, and it was just such a problem. We couldn't get ahead for anything. And so we stood right out there in that lobby looking at that big dark cloud coming in, and, and I swear, here's what Des said. He said, Lord Jesus, right through here. 
right here. I said, it's great, could I leave first? This is not a magical building. The pews you are sitting in did not come from Israel. The water in our water fountains is not from the Jordan. It's good old Texas water. Just taste it and you'll see. Coming into this building cannot change you. The music, as wonderful as it is in this house, cannot change you. There is only one person who can change you, and that's the Lord Jesus himself. But clearly there are those who, can, who confuse the, invent, the event with the encounter. They confuse the event with the person. They think if they've been to church, they've met Jesus. But here's the thing about an event. Event may stir your emotions. It may excite you. It may get you all jazzed up. But guess what? Emotions wear off. High emotions will come down as soon as the lights go off. And then typically what happens is people just reset and go back to their normal way of life. Oh, I, I love church. I just get so inspired. Great. I'm glad you do. But let me tell you, this is going to be news for you. You know what happens after Sunday? Monday. How many know what I'm talking about? And if all you live for, if what you need is a church service to stay close to Jesus, let me tell you, church service is not going to help you on Monday. Guess what? This church can't be with you on Monday. As good as this choir is and as wonderful as our worship leaders are, they're not going to be with you on the tough days. I wish I could take them sometimes with me when I go to the doctor's appointment. The whole bunch of them. Just put them in my pocket and take them with me. And when he's talking to me and I say, really, that's my blood pressure? Uh-huh. Really? That's what my cholesterol is? Sing, choir! <laughs> Wish it was the case where I could say, I just don't receive that. Sing thou, O Lord, on our shield for me. Doesn't happen like that. Because the reality of it is this. The choir can't go with me. The worship leaders can't go with me. You won't go with me. But there is one who does go with me every step of the way, and his name is Jesus. And in whatever circumstance I find myself. And when we come to this place, and when we gather here to worship him, what, we have, what we've got to encounter here is not just a great choir, not just wonderful music, as great as it is, not incredible singers, not fabulous instrumentalists. We've got to encounter Jesus, who is the only one who can make a real difference in our lives. He's the only one who can go with you when you leave this place. When Sunday's over with and you face Monday or Tuesday evening or that day that you were not looking forward to taking place. Why is it that after 9-11, the churches in this city and all over America were packed? And where there was standing room only in most churches in this country, now you can get a seat most any time and in any church. That's because fear wears off. The emotions subside. It goes away. Emotions come down. Monday comes. And we quickly settle back into the norm. And to Peter, the event of the resurrection, as hard as it is for us to understand, it's done and over with, and now it's Monday. To Peter, it's almost as if he was saying, you know, that was cool, that was good, had a good run, 
Did the Jesus thing for three years. You know, now we've got to get back to making money. We've got to get back to supporting the family. Got to pay the rent. And what Peter tells us in this is that he was certainly a part of the event. But somehow, hear me, hear me, in the midst of being part of the event, there was no encounter with Jesus. What is it to you today, my friend? Is Jesus an event or is he an encounter? You can be in a place where Jesus is felt and not even be affected by Jesus whatsoever. We, I'm thankful for every person who comes and says, oh, I came to Bethesda Sunday morning and I, I cried from the moment I walked in the door. I, I just felt something. I'm glad you feel something, but let's be real clear about it. It's not anything that we do. It's only because the Holy Spirit is here and he's doing something dynamic in your life and he's wanting to reach to you. It's he that's bringing the tears to your eyes. It's Jesus Many people will talk about, oh, I went to a conference, and the conference, it was awesome. Great, I'm glad it was an awesome conference. But guess what? You went, you went, after that, you left and got in your car and went home. Was it an event, or did you have an encounter with Jesus? My friend Randy Hirsch will talk to us about his Greek background and, and the different tenses. I think he mentioned it when he was here. There's the punctiliar tense, which means it sets a point in time, punctiliar. And then some Greek words are given in the punctiliar sense, tense. Some are in the linear tense. Have you had a punctiliar event, or are you living in the linear tense of a relationship and an encounter with Jesus? Events don't change us, church. Jesus does. What is it with you? Is it an event, or is it an encounter. I had something happen this week I want to tell you about. I had a phone call. Thursday, um, Thursday evening, I received a, a message on Facebook from a lady that I, I, I guess I've met her. I don't really know her. I recognize her last name. And she said, my dad would like to reconnect with you and to speak with you. He lives now in Colorado. Here's his phone number. <clears throat> so I thought, yeah, I, re I remember him. What I remember is he lived in the town where my father was pastoring in, in, in Sioux City, Iowa, back in the, in the 70s. He's probably, you know, he's, he was my dad's friend. He was my acquaintance. Kind of half the dif distance in age between me and my father. Much closer to my dad than he was to me. And what I remembered about him, he was a scoundrel. I, I don't remember good things about him at all. I was protected from a lot of the information. But all I knew, what I could kind of pick up on, was he was with his wife Judy one week. And then the next week they were split up. And then they would get back together. And then they would split up. And, you know, he was one of those guys really sharp, really smart guy. He was almost too smart for his own good. His name is Paul Hegstrom. I've not seen him, talked to him, heard from him in over 40 years, probably over 42 years. And um, what I remember about him is he's one of those guys, he was so smart, he really valued being cynical. He knew a lot about church. He was raised in a Nazarene, Church of the Nazarene, no different than many of the rest of us. He was, and he knew everything about church, and you know, he knew how to be cynical about church. He knew all, all the stuff to do. He knew the, the lingo. He was cool about all of that. So I never was sure why my dad was able to attract scoundrels like this. And I was, forgive me for using that word. I, I'm, I, you know, I, I can't think of a, a better one. But you know what guys like that would always say to me? Say, you know, your dad's the only preacher I ever knew that was real. Your dad's the only preacher I ever knew that was, that was authentic. Let me tell you, and I've told you this about my dad before. He passed away in 2000. My dad knew how to love. 
God give us men today who know how to love and know how to love unconditionally. I know how blessed I am. I know that that's not the story of everyone in this room, that everyone had a father that really loved them. If my dad loved you, he loved you, and there's not a thing you could do about it, nothing you could say or do to change. He loved you because he loved you. Well, I call Paul Friday morning. Wow, what a story. And I wasn't sure, you know, what I would find out. And he began after we had some pleasantries and, and you know, a few things. And, yeah, I, are you still in Fort Worth? Yes, I'm still in Fort Worth. All this time, yes, all this time I'm still here. They haven't kicked me out yet. <clears throat> he began to tell me his story, folks. And suddenly some things made sense that I, I really was shielded from as a kid growing up. I didn't hear. I heard, you know, periphery comments I didn't know. He said, Dan, I was, I was a wife beater. He said, um, it, w- it was bad. My, I freely give you my testimony now because it's published and, and it's, you know, I, we now have a, an international ministry and God's done some great things. He said, it was, it was so bad I faced prison time over my actions and what took place. I was an angry, angry, angry man. And then the amazing part of it was this. There's too much to go into, but Paul said this. He said, but Dana, I just want to tell you. He said, you know, your dad was such a friend to me. And he said, I was, I was a mess. I, he said, but what's happened since then is I now have gone on. And I had such a dynamic encounter with Jesus that changed my life. He told me of being laid flat on the floor for hours and what God did in him. And, and it, was, it was stunning to hear what had taken place. And he said, all I can tell you is that because of what Jesus really did, and can I just tell you, I'm now hearing the voice of a man that's broken and humble before the Lord. I didn't hear a cool, cynical, too good to talk to somebody else guy that I knew 42 years ago. I heard someone that was broken and tender and pliable because of what Jesus, he said, if I didn't believe in the redemptive grace of Jesus, I don't know what I would do. He says, but I want to tell you this, that because of what Jesus has done, Judy and I now have lived together peaceably for over 30 years. I said, thank God for that. And he said this, he said, and then after that, God gave me a ministry. I never thought I'd have a ministry. And he says, and I, you know, I, it's, a, it's an international ministry. He went on to get his Ph.D., and I think it's in family therapy. And we began talking about uh, work that he's done, even with people who suffer from MPD, multiple personality disorder. Now, he would be a pro in this area, but I'm going to tell you, I've had a little bit of experience with some folks who have suffered from MPD, multiple personality disorder. They have different personalities because it, as a child, it's their way of coping. Now, hear me carefully. Back in the day, we would have thought anyone who demonstrated something like this was demon-possessed or demonized. That may be, but that's a separate issue. There are problems that take place mentally with people. And young people, children, have traumatic situations that take place. And the only way they know how to cope with it is their personality fragments. Becky will remember the situations that I was called into therapy to help someone that we knew as they went through the healing process. And thank God there is healing for people who suffer with MPD. I've seen it with my own eyes. The person I dealt with was a pastor's daughter. At nine years old, she loved the pastor, the daddy pastor, who stood before the congregation and preached powerfully and led them fearlessly through what she loved that daddy. But what she hated was the daddy who came into her bedroom at night and molested her. On the same day, he'd preached a powerful sermon. And her only way of coping with that is for that personality to fragment and break. 
And once that happens in a child, oh God, protect our children today. Once that happens in a child, and that becomes their coping mechanism, and how they deal with the trauma of life, and the diabolical things that can take place within them, once that's the method, it breaks, and it will break again, and it will break again, and it will break again. And that's how they do that. And my friend Paul Hextrom began talking to me. I don't recall him saying he suffered from MPD, but he said, Dan, you know what I see in the church today? Because this is what he's dealing with. He's dealing with so many men who are abusing their wives. He said, we have men in the church today. This is going to get a little tense for picnic day. He says, we have men in the church today who have presented a personality that they learned since childhood. And they grew up in Sunday school. They can tell you all the stories. They can quote verses. They know when to raise their hands. They know the hymns. They know the verses as well as anybody else does. That is the person who has had an event, but they've never had an encounter with Jesus because they can go right home, and here comes Monday, here comes Tuesday, here comes Wednesday, and they go into the dark recesses of their mind, and they begin manifesting from those places. He's written a book that I'm going to receive a copy of this week. He's written a couple of books that intrigued me, but the one that, the title that I remember the most is this, Angry Men and the Women Who Loved Them. Angry Men and the Women Who Loved Them by Dr. Paul Bergstrom. And the thing I was so struck with, right in the midst of me preparing this message, is this. He said, Dan, I have to be honest with you. He said, I, when you knew me, I was a different man because all I knew about Jesus was just the events of church. But I want you to know that people who have been hardened and cynical and people who have turned their back on everything else, they're attracted to something about church, but deep within they find some place where they're going to hold back and they want to be hardened and cynical about everything else and their heart gets crusty. I want you to know there's no place that Jesus cannot go by the power of the Holy Spirit and come into that heart. You can shut the doors, but you can't shut Jesus out. Somebody give him praise for that today. So here's Peter returning to his old life. And Peter says, I'm going fishing. And we need to understand something about this. This is no small statement because fishing was not his hobby. To us, it's a hobby. To something, it's a casual thing. We do it on vacation. But fishing to Peter was a career and a lifestyle. And essentially what Peter was saying at that moment in Scripture here, after all of these things, we get to the beginning of chapter 21 of John. And he says, I'm going back to my old way of living. This is not where Peter's just simply saying, oh, we're exhausted after all this stuff that's happened and and we need to do something relaxing, so let's go fishing. That's not what he was saying. He says, I'm going to go back to what I know best. I'm going to go back to doing my thing, which is why I just love the fact that Scripture says, and they went fishing and they fished all night and they caught. Not only is he going back, But it's also interesting to note from our text this morning how persuasive Peter must have been. If you look at verse 2 of John 21, several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, it would be James and John, and two other disciples. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. Which gives us a clear picture of Peter's leadership in the group because seven of the 11 guys go with Peter. And you want to know what's funny about that? Three of them were not even fishermen. He was that persuasive. Come on, guys, we did our run. 
We did our Jesus thing for three years. It was great. Got a little scared when we thought he was dead, but now it's done and we've got to go back. He's resurrected. We've got to go back to fishing. And life does go on if you've had nothing but an event. But life can never be the same if you have encountered Jesus face to face. So what is it for you, dear friend? Is he an event or is he an encounter? I'll never forget the first time I heard the startling facts from Focus on the Family and Dr. Dobson, who finished his intense research of pastors that have been in the ministry, people like Peter. And the fact that Dr. Dobson uncovered was this, that every single month in this country, every single month, 1,500, 1,500 full-time pastors quit the ministry. That means when this day is over, Bethesda, 50 pastors will say, I'm done. 50 pastors will resign today, not to take the pastorate of another church, but to quit the ministry entirely. 50 pastors will essentially say, I'm going fishing. And now Peter is faced with that same thing. So what happened? What happened to the three-year investment of Peter being with Jesus? What went on with him? I think there's something we forget all too often. I think we forget that we have been bought with a price and we are not our own. When Becky and I got married in 1974, she brought into our marriage a car that she'd had for a short while. It was a green 1969 Camaro. I knew some of you guys would be going, sweet. And yes, I'd give anything in the world if we still had it today. She was something special as she scooped the loop in that 69 green Camaro. And in Indianola, Iowa, you can scoop the loop in 15 seconds. It's a town square. But alas, the day came when we traded it in on another used car that we could afford. Typically something several years old with high mileage and hopefully the tires weren't already bald. And something that... Probably too used for us to, but it was what we could afford. And we continued that pattern through the years. And though we'd maybe, you know, sometimes try to buy a can of that new car spray, (laughs) new car smell spray, and I'd spray it all over the new car, you know, one look down at the stains on the floor mats or in the fabric seats or the holes in the seat. Remember the bench seats we used to have? If you wanted to get forward, you had to like everybody had together, had to move up. You kids have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, one, two, three, go! So I'd spray my can of spray, you know, on a new car. And you look down, now this car ain't new. But the day came when we really yearned for a truly new car, but, it, but certainly couldn't afford it. But we, we figured out something. We figured out we could lease a new car. And the payments would be a whole lot less. And they looked a lot prettier than the payments if I was going to actually buy the car. So we get all excited as we find the car we think we want and the payments look so much better. And we're smiling as we're signing all the papers until the moment came where they told me, we're almost done. I'm thinking, man, this is great. Yeah, we can't wait. Give me the keys. Let's go. Came to the moment where they said, now, Mr. Smith, one thing you need to be sure you understand, and that is this. 
you can only drive at 12,000 miles per year. You, that, that's, you have a limit of 1,000 miles a month, and that, that limit is there. And, and if you drive over that, you're going to have to pay extra money. But I'm sorry, what? I, I, can, I, I can only drive it so, yeah, yes. I'll drive 12,000 miles just into the grocery store. You know, we live in Dallas, Fort Worth. Everything's spread out everywhere. Uh, there's no way. So every month I'm watching to see where we are on our miles. And I'm nervous about it, terrified that we're going to go over our allotted miles because they made it clear to me that I'd have to spend more money if we went over that 12,000 miles a year. And I remember just sitting there thinking, how can these things be? You know, I, I just paid you this big upfront fee I could barely afford. I'm, I'm paying you this hunk of money every month. And this is now, this is my car. I can, I can smell it. I got the can of, sp- and, and it's beautiful. And it's mine. It's mine, right? No, sir. It's not yours because it's leased. So what I had to understand was this. It's in my care, but I don't own it. I was so excited to get the new car, but I, I, could, I could only drive it limited numbered miles. And also, there was a day set when I was going to turn it back in. Because though it was in my possession, I didn't own the thing. That's what happens when you are leased. You do this thing for a couple of years. You do this thing for a few miles. You do this thing and... All the while you're going, you know, I'm, I don't know that I'm going to go all the way with this. But I want you to understand something today. And I say this to you from the bottom of my heart. When Jesus died for you, my friend, he didn't die to lease you. He died to own you. He died so that you could understand that this life is not about leasing. It's not about, Lord, I'm just going to go this far. There's a limit of miles of how far I'm going to go. Jesus wants to take you as far as he wants you to go. And it's not a situation where like Peter, after a couple of years, you just turn it in and go, I'm done with this thing and I'm going fishing. That's not what happens with Jesus. You don't do your three-year plan with him and get all discipled and get all turned on and then, and then you just turn in the key. Let me tell you something. This Christianity is 365 days a year. It's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the week. He doesn't just want your Sunday. He wants your Monday, Tuesday, every day of the week. But I'm going to hit you with this hard, dear friend. If you simply come to church services, and that is the sum of your Christian walk, here's the news for you. You're on a lease program. And that's not what Jesus wants for you. It's not why he died. It's not why he gave, let the splendor of heaven, gave his life for you. He wants every single day. You know, I hear some people say occasionally, I think it's cute when they say this. You know, I, I need a day off from being a Christian. I need to take a break. I need to go fishing. You know, I, I missed out on sowing my wild oats. I want to tell you something. You no more need a day off from serving Jesus than your heart needs a day off from beating in your chest. Tell your heart to stop beating for a day. See how that works out for you. Christianity is not being compartmentalized. It's not having one person that you present on Sunday and another person that you go to that you become on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. 
It's not about being churchy. It's living in the vibrant life of Christ every single day because he doesn't want to lease you. He wants ownership. But something needed to happen. And I'm going to close with this in just a second. Something needed to happen to Peter for things to really change. And here's what needed to happen. You know, sometimes we avoid dealing with the real stuff of life. We do. Some people are particularly afraid of dealing with stuff. They'd rather shove it under the rug. Some people think that, you know, if I just kind of ignore this, it will go away. We'd rather just move on and not really address it. I don't love confrontation. I certainly don't seek it out. But somehow I sure end up in a lot of conflict resolution sessions. It's brother against brother, family against family, person against person. And often there's an elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. I'm going to tell you this. Though I don't seek out those kinds of situations, they find their way to me. The only thing that fuels me to go into a situation like that is that I love, I really, really love, just the possibility of seeing the redemptive grace of Jesus at work. We have a sign in the hall of our office that says redemption is plan A. And I point the staff to that as often as I possibly can. Because for me, if there's even just a hint of chance that redemption can take place, then I'm willing to walk through the muck and the mire to get there. There's very little in life, honestly, that's more gratifying to me than to be in a tense environment where people even are at odds with each other. And then to see the Holy Spirit come in and begin to take control and watch hardened hearts begin to melt and walls begin to come down as we identify our commonality in the Lord Jesus and we humble ourselves before Him. And the redemption can have its full measure in that situation. And here's the thing, if Jesus was able to do anything, He knew how to get directly to the heart of a matter. He knew how to bring directly to the surface that which needs to be exposed, and that's exactly what he did with Peter. I've now reached the apex of this message, and I ask you to give this your full attention and do not move around. This is going to be Peter's encounter. This is going to be the defining moment for Peter. Because if you don't honestly address who you are with Jesus, then, dear friend, you're in a lease program. And Jesus comes to Peter and he asks him some questions in the 15th verse of the 21st chapter of John. After breakfast, Jesus asks Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. And you know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. And when you look at these verses here in the original Greek, there is something so telling about it that simply reading it in our English language does not give us the full degree of understanding of what really happened, what Jesus was really doing What you learn when you see it in the Greek is that Jesus was addressing the elephant in the room that was heretofore unaddressed. The Greek language is so interesting because there are so often many words that are used for our one word in the English. For example, I understand that for the word sin, there is uh, our word sin, there are as many as seven to nine words in Greek for sin. You have to figure out which word is being used. The same thing is true of the word faith. 
And we've heard it preached from this pulpit for years, all the different words that there are for the word love. Many of you have heard this talked about. But in the Greek, there are four different words used for the word love. So when you're reading this, or when you're reading the word love in the Bible, you have to know which kind of love is being talked about. There is phileo, from which we get the word Philadelphia, which means a brotherly love. There is eros, which is the love between a man and a woman, from which we derive the word erotic. There is storge, which is in reference to family love. And then there is this word agape, which is what Christians use because it means to love with no strings attached. It means I love you regardless. So when the Bible says, for God, in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's agape. So now follow this with me in your Bible. This same passage, when you overlay the Greek understanding. After breakfast, verse 15 says, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know that I... And he switches the word. Phileo you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus was asking, do you love me unconditionally? Peter replies, oh, yeah, I love you like a brother. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I phileo you. Then take care of my sheep. Jesus said. And then Jesus messes Peter up so bad. Because in verse 17 it tells us that a third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you even phileo me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. And he just said, Lord, you know everything. Jesus said, do you agape, highest level me? Peter says, you know I second level phileo you. Second time. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter replies a second time, second level. You know I phileo you. Jesus says, do you even phileo, second level love me? And the Bible says that Peter was grieved. You know what was going on here? The redemptive grace of Jesus was cutting through the muck and the mire and addressing the real issue of where Peter honestly was in his relationship with Jesus. I want to say this to you this morning. Jesus is not afraid to know, and he's not afraid to confront exactly who we are every day of the week. He was willing to confront Peter head on and basically says to him, you know what, brother, in order for us to go on, We've got to go backwards and deal with something. Listen to me, Bethesda. Sometimes in order to go forward, you've got to go backwards. Sometimes you've got to get real and deal with raw issues. But here's the good news. No, here's the great news. There is redemption in the mighty name of Jesus. There is mercy at the foot of the cross when we humble ourselves, when we allow him to break us, and when we say, Jesus, I need you, and I not only need you, but I want you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Everyone, please remain seated until we're finished. Please.
Pastor Brent, if you would come. I don't know who this message has spoken to today. I'm simply trusting the Holy Spirit to do his incredible work. I need to tell you, I prayed specifically about what to do at this very moment. Lord, what would you have me do? And I sensed a holy restraint from the Lord. I'm only going to know if you're responding to this message. If you let me know that in your own way. It's not going to be a raising of hands. There, is, there will be people at the front, our pastors and some of our highly skilled church leaders are going to be here at the front to pray with you if you choose to respond in just a moment. I don't know what the Lord has done with this message today. That's not really for me to concern myself with because I trust the Holy Spirit. My job is to be obedient. But I think you, just like me, have to honestly ask these questions. And it doesn't matter to me if you've been in the church 60 years or 60 minutes. Because the same questions have to face all of us. Number one, have you gone fishing? Have you gone back to an old lifestyle that you know is not right with God? Have you taken steps to take a break from Christianity and living for Jesus? So the first question is, have you gone fishing? Question number two, is Jesus an event or is he an encounter for you? Is the sum of your Christian experience just attending church services? Or are you engaged in an ongoing lifestyle where Jesus is Lord of all the kingdoms of your heart? Question one is, have you gone fishing? Question two is, is he an event or an encounter? Question number three, last question. Are you on a lease program or does he have full ownership of you? When he has full ownership, then you are his to command where he leads you, regardless of what you think or feel about it. When you're on a lease program, there will be a limit as to how far you will go in God. So there's the three questions facing all of us today. And trust me, I've had to face those questions this week. It's time to get real. It's time to get honest. It's time to address the elephant in the room. And if there is someone here today who, by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, is saying, you know what, I think that's true of me. Maybe not all of those things, but I think it's possible. I have allowed myself to slip into that thinking. We're going to stand in just a moment when I ask you to. We're going to sing, Come Holy Spirit. Oh, how we need you. Simple little chorus. Come Holy Spirit. We need you. And oh, how true that is. I need the Holy Spirit today. You need the Holy Spirit today. Apart from Him, we have nothing. But He can do His work in us. And when he does his work in us, the Holy Spirit always points us to Jesus. He always draws us back into alignment with him. You may choose to respond today by coming to the altar, to praying with those who are going to be here, pastors and church leaders, those of you who we've designated, if you would please come.
If you want someone to pray with you today, that's up to you. You may choose to respond in some other way by letting me know, letting one of the pastors know. It's between you and the Lord. So let's stand together.